tools are for you to use. These tools are for you to use. Hello, welcome to This Is Your Afterlife. I am Dave Marr. This is my podcast in which I talk to artists and activists about the afterlife. Just a little breezy conversation or two about death for your Tuesday morning. My guest this week is Angel Bot Dawid. Holy fucking shit. I am so excited for this episode. This is what they call in the industry a get. Angel is a fucking incredible jazz musician. Jazz is not the most popular music, I understand. So it is forgivable if you have not heard of her until now. But once you listen to this episode, I really hope you seek out her music. I think The Guardian called her one of the most promising or the most promising new jazz artist from last year. Who cares about the accolades? The point is the music is fucking incredible. I have been obsessed with her album, The Oracle, which came out last year, especially in quarantine. I've been obsessed with it. It's just this humid sweaty, funky, otherworldly jazz album. She's a clarinet player, but she's also a composer. She does everything. And if you want an introduction, I mean, she mentions the song, We Are Stars. I've been loving Black Family, that song recently. Um, What Shall I Tell My Children Who Are Black? As you'll hear in this episode, Angel makes great black music as she calls it. And it's so inspiring to talk to someone who, like she breathes what she does. She loves music. It is a spiritual experience for her. And so it was so, so awesome to talk to her. So listen to The Oracle. She just had another album come out um, with with a guy in Chicago named We On We. And the album's called Message From The Da We, D-A-O-U-I. And it's a very trippy combination of We On We's sort of electronic textures and beats and what Angel does. Angel has a ton, a ton going on. So I, I don't really know how to, to summarize it, but you can go to her Instagram at Angel the Oracle. And she's pretty good about updating all the different virtual live shows she's doing, plus all the albums she has coming out, the residencies she's doing, she's got it fucking going on. You can also follow me at This Is Dave Mar, and if you like the podcast, physically tell one friend about it. That's great. Alternately, you could rate it, you could review it, just spread the word. Just like with the Kimberly Michelle Vaughn episode and the Jaws Norris episode, there is bonus content from this episode. All of that bonus content now has a place to live, which is my Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr, D-A-V-E-M-A-H-E-R, you can get bonus content. There's going to be monthly live like virtual hangs that aren't just going to be formless. They're going to be organized and fun. I'm making monthly playlists. And you can get a shout out in the podcast as well. So right now, thank you to Pigeon Level 
supporters. And that's a reference you'll get if you've seen my show feed Wolf Ice Cream. If not, you have something to look forward to. But thank you to those Pigeon Level supporters, Susie Carroll and Katie Llewellyn. And now enjoy this episode with Angel Bot fucking Dawid. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatan. When I'm in Shatan. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, great. Well, so the first thing I like to do is ask people to like introduce themselves, right? In three ways. There's three situations I'm gonna ask you to introduce yourself in. Okay. First one is you're talking to a stranger in a rideshare. Second one is you're meeting someone at a party who you like and who seems like they might be a future friend and they're asking you what you do. And then the third situation is uh, St. Peter at the gates of heaven. He's saying, Angel, how do you pronounce your last name? Dawid. Dawid. Okay, okay, okay. He's Mm -hmm. like, listen, your name is unique, but you're not the only one on this list. So I'm going to need you to just differentiate yourself from the other Angel Bat Dawids. Remind me which one you are. So those are the three situations. Okay. 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 So, So first situation, I hop in a car, an Uber, and I'm meeting somebody for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you want to know what I would tell them, or what? How would you? Would you introduce yourself? How do you? How do you act in that situation? Oh yeah, I'm very interested in people. Okay. Um. So I would definitely have a dialogue. You know, I'm 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 very very interested in others. So. So you're not um, shielding usually... them from the fact that you're a musician or a composer. You're not like you don't have a fake profession that you tell oh to no shut down i'm like this everywhere i go <laughs> okay <laughs> there's no alter angel like what you see is what you get most of the time though when i meet people it's less about talking about me and i think this is something mm. that the world needs to learn you know it's it's more important to be interested in others it's more important to to brag about other people you know that's why i mentioned we on we that's why i mentioned even my instagram is all about um other artists yeah. You know, every now and then I'll put up something that I'm doing, but like I'll, I'll put everyone on blast because when you do that, um, you kind of are telling more about yourself, you know, and I just find people fast. I have so many different types of friends. Oh my goodness. I've always been like this. I've always, when I was a little girl uh, at the, I lived in Africa for a while. My parents were missionaries and oh, we wow. were, uh, we would go to this mall in Nairobi every weekend and I became friends on my own was like the security guard, you know? And so he was my friend. And and we came to the mall. And when I saw him the next time, I was like, hey. And I ran up to him, gave him a hug. And my mom got mad at me because she was like, you can't be going up to grown men and da-da-da. Because I didn't know no difference then. Right, right, right. You know, but like I've always been like very, very interested in others and, and very interested in other people's stories and perspectives. So I think if I got in the car, the conversation, they, they might not know that I was a musician. Mm. They... I would probably just have a conversation about that. And I noticed that a lot of people don't get a chance to really talk about themselves. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just sit back and listen. You know, that's something I've been trying to really practice because I'm like, yo, we got two ears and one mouth. That means that you probably need to be listening more (laughs) and talking less, which is hard for me because I can talk a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, okay. So So, let's say at the party that someone's like, Hey, 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 you keep asking about me. I want to know. Tell, what, what, I know you're a musician. What kind of musician? Like, what do you do? 
What's your thing? Yeah, I was like, well, I play great black music because I'm a black woman, and the music that I make, yeah, I think it's great. So I play black music, and when I say black music, it's uh, you know, people think it's like some way of like, oh, you know, offensive. But I'm like, no, but it really is simply that. I am a black woman, so when I make music, it's going to be black music. Now, what does that look like? It doesn't look like just like what the world says, oh, that's hip-hop or that's soul. No, 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 black music, creative musicians. Um, you know, that's why I love the AACM, which is Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians, which is an, an instrumental um, music collective here in Chicago that's been around for over 50 years of Black musicians who came together and just wanted to make creative music. It wasn't necessarily notes on a page. It was experimental and it was out. It was very important to me. Um, and so there's an elder I know who has a space called Transitionese. That's what I named the, the um, single from. And I remember asking him, because this space is kind of like, nobody really knows about it, but so many amazing musicians played there. And I was like, when you heard people like Anthony Braxton or all these out jazz cats playing just <laughs> playing sounds, like, did you think that was weird? You know, like, because it wasn't like R&B and stuff. He's like, we didn't even think about it that way. We thought about it like that person's on stage just playing their creative self. You know what I mean? Like, that's all I'm doing is just being myself. It's just being angel. You know, that's it. And that goes into your St. Peter question. Yeah. And St. Peter, I'd be like, yeah, there are other people who are very similar to me, I'm sure, but nobody is me. I'm my only self. There is only one angel. This, this, this is the space that is mine. This is my autonomous space, okay? Wherever I am, no one can take up this space with me. You can sit on my lap, but you ain't in my space. And so, like, when you understand that power of that, your space, that is your autonomous space. Are you going to sit and hate your space? Huh? Are you going to sit and be like, oh, I don't like myself? Da, 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 da. I don't do that shit anymore. Like, no, this is my space. This is the space where I can do whatever I choose. I can think however I want. I can be, dress, live however I want. And it is all uniquely me. And I may have people who look like me. I may have people who have similar styles to me. But my DNA, that's mine. It's mine. It is the only, I am the only combination. And everyone is their only combination. That's why the song, We Are Stars, came about not, it wasn't like a conceptual idea. It was more like a chant that came ahead. But I'm, I'm always trying to impact unpack some of the music that I do and and I'm like stars is all about shining your individual power like no one everyone has their own individual light um and we live in a culture that does not support that you know that does not support people being their own individual you know in fact you get persecuted if you're different mm -hmm. I have <laughs> I have all my entire life. I knew there was something off about me. <laughs> People would remind me constantly. And I'm like, and then I'll be like, what's wrong with me? And then I, I had some insecurities and took on a lot of those different things. I'm like, wait a minute. Ain't nothing wrong with me. In fact, I, instead of me trying to be like people, I realized early on, that's about like 13 or 14, that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in the direction of being different. That's why like people like Sun Ra were, were instrumental to me. So, mm. you know, my dad had uh, the movie space as a place and I, and I was like 13 or 14 when I saw it, I was just like, yo, I ain't never seen nothing like that. And I was like, I went more into that direction and start instead of being like everyone around me. So St. Peter, I feel you. 
but I'm the only angel that I don't eat. Period. I've never had anyone answer that question and so just thoroughly own St. Peter. I feel like he is <laughs> I feel like he is responding to that like, yes, ma'am, right this way. Uh in, exactly. <laughs> Correct. That's what he wanted to say, you know? Um, I think that's that's what he was about because he was, you know, if you historically read about Peter, he was kind of like on his own thing too. He kind of had like well, a temper problem and yeah. he denying. He denying though. Out, that's like know? I don't know like, how he cutting people's ears off and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He cut somebody's ear off. He was gangster. Yeah. You know, he but the denying it, it it leaves a salty taste in your mouth. You're like I don't yeah, know how how embodied know? a person that is who's like denying the christ yeah. you know what i mean well, well the great thing about peter though is with that he has flaws but he yeah. was also like called the greatest you know because of that you know because of his zealous he was very zealous you know yeah so i, yeah. I, I admire yeah. that about them i think that i kind of have like that kind of same passion uh when it comes to injustices i can't i can't stand it i literally can't stand it you know i would cut somebody's ear off too <laughs> What do you hope happens when you die? Well, I really don't know what the other side will bring. I have hopes of that it will bring me to another elevation of myself, you know, like another transition of myself. Um, what does this that mean? particular life, I do believe in reoccurring lives and things like that because, because the afterlife is so nebulous and there's so many different traditions that have ideas, but honestly, none of us know until we're there. That's why I can't judge anybody's afterlife thoughts. You know, if you believe that there's a hell and a heaven, well, then there probably is. If you believe that you're going to be reincarnated as a butterfly, you probably will. If you believe that, oh, you're just going to be stuck in the ground in the dirt, I don't want that. Like so that gives think, me an anxiety attack. Like of thinking that the afterlife is you're just going to be stuck in the dirt. No, there's something. I think nature shows us that there's regeneration and that there's different um, ways. I mean, like honestly, you kind of die every day anyway. You get new blood. You get new cells every so and so years and stuff like that. Um, so I just think like this idea of birth and regeneration. Probably what I closely believe and then i believe that this life this particular one that i'm in right now is one of the best ones i've ever had um ever you know and so i can only imagine that the next one when this little in because you know this is particularly it's people act like life is life can be hard and life is challenging but um it's one of the best ones this one here is juicy you know because i've had my struggles for sure but when I look at the grand scheme of my life from my birth and, and my family and all the situations I've been in, I'd be like, sometimes I walk down the street, you know, like the closing credits of a show, like the 80 shows yeah. with the credits coming up. Like jumping you know, in the air, like, like that kind of Directed thing? by Angel Batoe, oh. starring Angel Batoe, <laughs> you know, acting Angel Batoe, and it'll go up. I'd be like, this is a pretty good life. And honestly, every day, I feel like when we go to sleep, we kind of die and you wake up and you have to live in this life and you have to make the most of it. It has to be a choice to be happy. Happiness is a choice. And I, I make it made it a choice intentionally because I was miserable. I was very, very miserable early. I just didn't understand. And I was like, oh, I can't live like this. Like that, I always have a breaking point. I was like, oh, I can't live like this. I can't do this. 
you know? And so I had to really change my mind yeah. about things and how blessed it is to be on earth. I think that human beings on earth, um, this is, I think like, okay, we can think of whatever we want, you know, make beliefs. I think that the other beings on other planets always look at earth as like, that's the spot. That's the spot. Them humans are amazing. Look what all the stuff they do, you know? And um, I, I try to always keep that in mind. So I just think like the afterlife is just going to be the next continuation and, and level of, cause I'm not just this body. I'm a, I'm a spirit, just like you a spirit, you know, um, we're not our vessels, you know, everybody knows that when someone dies that they, they lose, like there's a certain amount that they can, they've tested of something leaves them. Yeah, you know, like, right, right, right. The 23 games like, or 21 yeah, games. Yeah, it's like it a little thing. bit of what it's like, right, what is right, that? Right. And I think I'm always trying to explore that and I can explore it the most in music, the most. I think that's why when it comes to free music, it's the best place to start to do music instead of looking at music as entertainment, looking at it as entertainment, meaning that, no, you don't have to play the clarinet or piano or go to music school. You have a voice. You know, back in the day, people didn't have TV. You know what they did? They would get around together after dinner and sing songs together. Um, that's where you got most of the music. Or there wasn't television. They, they, the kids would go, and there'd be an elder who would tell stories. You know, and so, uh, and that's actually very, very more African, like oral traditions and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, music wasn't just on a stage. You had cooking songs. You had work oh, songs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, you know, the, historically black music, they've been, um, there's a great book called um, Black American Music um, by Eileen Southern. She's a great, I mean, you don't learn about these black scholars, all right? Meaning, like, this research that she did, wasn't no YouTube. She was going in old libraries, dusting <laughs> off stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she had some accounts of, of some European explorers who went down to Africa back in, like, the 1700s, and they tried to describe what it was like. They said it was music 24-7. Wow. Like, just music playing all the time. Like some bands would play till they're tired and then another band would come up, you know? And so I'm like, okay, just think about how music wasn't just the stage. In fact, she had an example of like, there was one African tribe where if you went to court, you had to sing your case. No shit. <laughs> That's incredible. So music is, is, is essential as breathing and, and drinking. And yeah. for us to treat, I mean, things have gotten way out of hand with the recording industry and, and entertainment business, because that's not what music has ever been about, ever. It's not about selling the next record and get famous. Mm -hmm. This is our livelihood, especially Black people. Yeah. So when you say to go to a different elevation of yourself, what does that mean? Yeah, I, I really don't know, but I feel okay. like... I, I have no idea. I have some speculations, you know, because there's there's certain limitations here on Earth. And I think those limitations are there for a reason to develop uh, different things inside of you. You know, what I mean, like um, if I thought of myself, it's like I chose to come here. I chose to come here as this particular type of black woman in this particular body, in this particular setting, because the challenges that come with this are rich. They're the kind of challenges that develop a lot of great things inside of me. And so I don't know what iteration, I just feel like I'm always, I feel like I've put myself in situations uh, spiritually, you know, like I feel like for a reason. And I feel like 
I really put myself in this particular situation uh, with the family that I have and the surrounding things. And I didn't understand them sometimes. I'm like, this is horrible. But now that I look back, I'm like, it was horribly right. It was horribly <laughs> right. So I just understand that <laughs> whatever it is, I, I feel like what limitations I've had here uh, are going to be gone. And then there'll probably be limitations in the next life, but they won't be the same as this. The next thing I'm going to ask you to do is to relive one memory because this show is based on the premise that I put forward in one of my one man shows, which is the premise of that show is that the minute the lights go down, we're all in the afterlife. We're this theater we're in whatever Mm -hmm. we thought it was turns out it's this theater Mm -hmm. and i'm giving people an introduction to this afterlife and Mm -hmm. i'm basically saying that one of the features is you get to fully relive one memory you're not just Mm -hmm. thinking of it you're dropping back down into it you are physically there again you're not stuck in it it's just Mm -hmm. kind of like a door you can choose to visit Mm -hmm. anytime you want Mm -hmm. but you can only choose one Mm-hmm. If that were the case, what memory would you choose? Hmm, I've had so many great memories, but I'll tell the one that just first came popped in my head. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a moment when, okay, when I was, uh, I was very, I'm obsessed with music. Okay. Obsessed and in, in an obsessive compulsive way. And um, this was about, this was my freshman year in high school and um, I was playing clarinet. I was starting to get really good. So I had like a really good, chair I was in a good position mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we were playing this piece called the enigma variations by elgar and it's so beautiful it's uh it's just like the most beautiful music in the world and this was like our closing end of the year concert and we were at the zoo we did a show at the zoo which zoo? you know and this oh, i'm from kentucky so this was in, in kentucky, kentucky. In Louisville. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, wow. My my whole yeah. family's like, well, my immediate family's in Cincinnati. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we used yeah. to go down to Cincinnati to the... Um, I like Louisville. Big, I was just in there's Louisville. There's a big amusement park down there, right? Uh, Yeah. Kings Island. Is the That's place. it. We, we went mm-hmm. down there a few times, you know, family stuff. But, um, you know... Okay. So was, you're at the zoo was, in Louisville. I'm at the zoo. I'm in ninth grade. And because I really wanted to play classical music, like as militant as I am, classical music played like a big, huge part. I love classical music ever since I was a little girl because I love musicals and stuff. And um, I felt like I'm really playing real classical music. And I remember being like eighth grade, the weather was like so perfect. You know, um, it had that summer smell and we were at the zoo and it was just so beautiful. The flowers was out and I looked up in the sky and I realized this is what I really want to do for the rest of my life. Wow. So this was a concert. Yeah. Who was invited? Just family. It was like the end of the year, you know, like the kids were, we our presentational concert, you know, to our family and our friends um, that they had. And it, it was just a beautiful, that was the first thing that popped in my head when you said that. And um, I think outdoors? about it often. Huh? Was it outdoors? It was outdoors. What were the, were there specific animal exhibits you were close to? Do you remember? Um, you know what? It was like, they had a section for performances. Mm, So it wasn't like we saw, like really saw the animals. It was like Lincoln Park Zoo, you know, like they had a section for performances and stuff. And I don't know, it was just like that first time where I really felt like a professional musician, 
you know, because one of the things too about me doing music, for whatever reason, people didn't believe I was serious about it. People, uh-huh. I mean, for real, I have family members even like recently being like, wait a minute, you play clarinet? I'm like, didn't y'all see me when I was a little girl? I, yeah. Did y'all think it was a joke? It was just like, there was like, never no validation, you know, my experience, which, which is a part of my growth because I didn't, I realized like the reason why I was put in those situations because the only person that needs to validate my music is myself, you know? And so there's been like a long lengthy process of, of, of understanding that the validation only comes from me. And um, that was just a moment where I was like, this is really, and it's coming to me now. That's probably the reason why I'm bringing it up, but it was the, the defining moment where I was like, I'm going to be playing music for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. Were you on a cloud afterward? Were you, did you have? Yes, I was so on a cloud. Because, you know, in Enigma Variations, if you have a chance to listen to it, it's beautiful. So Elgar, everybody knows him from Pump pomp and Circumstance, right? Mm. But he has beautiful music. And Enigma Variations are, the main theme is gorgeous. But it's like, he wrote uh, variations based off of his friends. So they're like 20, they're 20 wow. different movements and they're all about characteristics of his friends. Some of them are kind of like really deep, dark and melancholy. And some of them are like light and hearted, you know, and um, I really, really love that work. And um, I, tr- I was trying to see like, you know, when, okay, the way I grew up in a straight home, I had no money. My parents was not giving us no allowances. No, uh-uh. yeah. it was straight. And so I didn't, couldn't just go to the mall and buy whatever I want. No, they weren't having it. Um, and so a lot of the music that I would get would be off the radio. So I would, you know, back in the day, people don't know YouTube. I would get my cassette, hit the mm-hmm, pause button, mm-hmm. when my stuff come on, boom. I wish I had all those. And so I was always listening on the radio. It's like, maybe one day they'll play Enigma. Maybe one day they'll play Enigma. Maybe one day they'll play this. And one You're day they to did. classical radio. Yeah. Wow. I was, I'd be up all night listening. Because, you know, I was just, I'd be up all night as a little girl uh, till the morning. I'm still like this. I ain't had no. I ain't slept in two days right now because I'm at work. Well, I know because you email me at the weirdest times of night. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to send you an email during the day. I'm like, I'm trying to keep this professional, and I'm getting something back at like three thirty a.m. I'm like, okay, I see how yeah. this is. This is. Crazy. I'll be up. I'll be up all night. But you know, I've done this since my youth. But you know, I was always obsessed with like um, little projects like origami and doing stuff with my hands and knitting and crocheting or you know, making doll clothes. But while I was doing all those full stuff, I would be listening to NPR or classical radio stations or, you know, back in the day, like uh, WHPK, you know, they would have like the hip hop and stuff like after hours and stuff like that. So radio was huge for me back then. Now, now we have a different paradigm. We've got, we've got YouTube and and stuff like that, which is more expansive. So if you are, if you are, I'm a nerd and I love information. The internet is just like, I love it because I can, I can find out so many days, you know, you just, and then you go on a deep dive. You're like, damn, I've been into this for like five hours. I need to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So tell me more about that smell. You said that smell that was like, yeah, you know, that summer smell. It's when it's summer and it's just like <sighs> school's out. And that's another thing. School was done. This was like the end of the school year. Okay. You so know? it's like, and so it's going into summer. Huh? It's like June. Yeah, it's like June or okay. yeah, like you know, late May or June in Kentucky. The the spring, the the trees were you know blooming and mm-hmm. um, school was out. We had the summer. I mean, it was just so like, like that and then I'm playing this music and see the the sad thing about it was that was my last year there because after that we moved here 
And I was mm-hmm. slightly finding my place because I was like heavily bullied in school, like heavily. Kids were so mean to me and teachers and adults. I don't know why. I was just like, being, I was, and I wasn't like the kind of kid who would be like, I'm going to talk back. I was like deeply hurt. I'd be like, why are you saying that to me? <laughs> you know, it just appalled. And I was just always appalled. I was like, wait a minute. You don't like me? I was just always appalled. I was like, I didn't understand why I was not likable. I think there's something and when so, kids but are that, like weird that like challenges adults and they're like they just really don't know what to do with this person they're like so they'll be mean to them because it it is such a challenge to their whole life and worldview i got it bad and i was isolated i had no friends you know what i mean so so when you moved to chicago when you moved to chicago did that did that sense of belonging translate or did it was it starting all over again it was starting over Mm -hmm. because that school i went to was a youth performing art school my freshman year was like a youth performing art school like focused on youth in the arts and all the other schools you know didn't have that and i was finally finding my place you know what i mean i was finally finding like my tribe and my community of other kids who felt like me who just really wanted to do music and creative stuff all the Mm -hmm. time that's those were i was finally finding it and and i was so happy to be playing that music then and then my parents like okay we're moving to chicago i was like what I'm just now, I'm gonna have to start all over again and be the new girl again, and that was a whole process too. You know, come here and then the school I went to did have a really good music program, but I mean, I'm going from playing Elgar to like you know a white marching band, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and symphonic music. It was great, um, you know. But at the same time, it was just like you know these these kids been knowing each other since kindergarten. Here I am, the new girl again with this weird background. You know, and and I think the transition, um, you know, it was hard for me to transition from living in Africa to living to America. Mm -hmm. Because when we came back from Africa, when we left for Africa, I was seven. When we came back, I was 12, which made me even more weird in my community. So from 12 to like 15, I was finally feeling like, (sighs) I'm finding my tribe only to have to like move again and be like, start all over. And then because I was here, like my sophomore year, well, then I graduated. So then I had to start all over again when I went to college. Right. <laughs> it was just like, oh, it's like constant. Well, it sounds like, I mean, you're clearly at this place now that's closer to that yeah. concert in the zoo park yeah. moment. But like, it feels like maybe a quick glimpse of like, without even knowing that shit was going to change and change again, that it's like this, it represents, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it represents this moment for you where it's like, you're going to, this is the way things are going to be eventually. Yep. It's not going to be easy, but you'll be able mm-hmm. to get back here. Does that feel right? That feels right. And I, I'm glad that you're doing a show about the afterlife because I think some of the wisdom literature that I've read from, from ancient Hebrews to Egyptians to everyone, they always talk about life being just a come and a go. Like when we get so attached to things, that's where mm-hmm. suffering comes. Those are some Buddhist principles. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you're just so attached to an idea, you need to just let it go. You know, like a life comes and then a life goes. All your wealth and riches that you build up here, it ain't shit. Mm-hmm. It's going to come. It's going to come. We go. But the one thing that we have is our memories. And this particular memory, I haven't talked about it, expressed it to too many people. But this uh, piece that I just wrote for the Art Institute, I thought of it again because it was the same moment. We, we played it outside in front of C. Yokono has these beautiful lotus petals outside. Mm. And it was that same feeling. That's why I can't think of it. I recently felt it again. Wow. You know, with a whole new set of people in a whole new city, 
Yoko Ono on top of that. It's just like, not that she was there, but like, you know, just the fact that I had a chance to, to write something for, yeah. you know, just pretty instrumental. Um, it was just that same like, wow. Okay, here it is again. <laughs> What's up? It's Dave. If you like This Is Your Afterlife, you should go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my free newsletter, Hella Immaculate. Every week in the newsletter, I share, one, a micro-essay about an aspect of creativity or culture, like the creative lessons of Drag Race Thailand or the visionary anti-racism of Hoobastank. Two, a hyper-specific playlist, for example, 90s Beach Xanax or Polo de Don set for 2008 Pitchfork Music Festival after party where I saw Julia Stiles. And finally, a few actions we can take to pour water on our world on fire. Hella Immaculate is a way for me to connect with audiences beyond live venues and across the globe. And it's the best way to learn about classes I'm teaching, podcast updates, eventual live shows, and whenever I'm typecast as a homeless addict again on a TV show set in Chicago. Again, go to thisisdavemar.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Hella Immaculate. As you may know, I'm a DIY operation, so please tell your friends. A hard vouch means everything. Back to the show. I'm phrasing the question as, what's your coma? Which I'm going to have to explain a little bit because a lot of my stuff comes from the fact that almost six years ago now, I was in a coma for a month. Right. I read that. Yeah. Yeah. And so things changed after that. Uh And I don't think that it needs to be, there are a lot of other moments of change in life Uh that are way smaller than that. So yours can be, grand it can be mundane but what is a moment of transformation like that for you where it feels like beforehand you were one person some part of you died and then a new you was born or unveiled Mm. like a caterpillar in a cocoon sure 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 or it could be i mean it could be usually people pick positive things but if you're really if you want to be like this is when my innocence died or something like that. I yeah, mean, you can I would, do that. I, I would say the, the, the hardships I've had have caught are the ones where things that needed to die happen. Is there you a specific I mean? one you can think of? Goodness. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't really share this with a lot of people, but I will. I'll be transparent. I was in a relationship um, that was abusive. You know what I mean? Like seriously abusive. Cause like physically? Physically, mentally, verbally, because he had a, a mental illness. And he also had an addiction. You know, not just weed or smoking cigarettes. He had a serious addiction, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I wanted to support him in that. But it was like the depths of how low I had to put myself in positions to support him um, as he's going to rehab and, and taking money from me and, and disappearing out of nowhere. Cause he wouldn't even know he had this addiction. He'd be like good for like months and then poof, bounce out and then it'd be horrible, you know, and like, you know, dealing with someone with a mental health issue, but, and then it made me have to question myself. Well, how crazy are you angel? Because like, hmm. why are you still in this? You know, like people have to like, want to help themselves why are you trying you know so it was like that relationship was probably like one of the hardest relationships i've ever been in with a whole lot of horrible things that happened 
But after that relationship, it was like, oh, I will never be in that situation ever again. A part of me died. The part of me that was like, did not defend myself, died. Mm. I got way stronger. Okay. There's just shit I won't put up with now that I, it, I put up with then. Is it like your radar is more sensitive? You see those things quicker oh, when and I earlier? See, I trust my gut more. Like back in the day, I was all like, in my head, I'm in love. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. I don't do that no more. Mm-mm. People show you themselves when you first meet them. Yeah. You'll be like, hi, my name is so-and-so. I'm crazy. Believe them. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Believe, <laughs> believe them. You know? Like, yeah. and, and I think like the biggest thing that I did, and, and I've done it and a lot of times, it's just really ignored my sensitivity ignored my intuition and then it's always to my detriment so i'd be having crazy notions about people sometimes i'm like oh angel why you think about come to find out i'd be right my intuition be be right and so you know having to go through those types of hardships uh you know part that part of me that was like no i'm gonna help them and be you know captain save a hoe (laughs) no i don't do that no more save a bro save a bro i don't do that i don't do that no more and and, you know um you know it's hard too because everybody wants to you know find that right person for their lives but how much are you willing to risk of yourself for that and i'm not willing to risk that anymore and unfortunately i had to go through that type of trauma in order to get to that place of strength you know so yeah, those are some of the, the hard things about being in a human life. It's some of those hardships that you have to go through. But I know for a fact, I will never, ever be in that situation again. Ever. Does it feel like it made you a little less? Because I think people confuse um, being romantic mm-hmm. with being under that spell, right? So it's like, so mm-hmm. if you are kind of like, if you have hard boundaries where you're like, nope, if someone does this, I'm out. People will be mm-hmm. like, oh, but you're not romantic. Don't you see mm-hmm. the blah, blah, blah? Does it make you feel, you know, less like, quote unquote, like romantic in a way? I am so glad that you brought up a keyword. You said something. You said boundaries. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I go into deep detail because as I do my own self-evaluation, there's a, a woman who des- who describes what boundaries. She's a woman who does research on compassion. Like like full like scholarly research on what compassion is. Who is it? She what's said, her name? What's her name? Renee Brené. Oh, Brené Brown, right, right. Yeah, Renee Brown. Yeah, I love her. And one of the things she said was, boundaries are telling people what they can and cannot do to you. I didn't have any boundaries. You know what I mean? Because I thought that was mean. Uh, uh-uh, boundaries are the most compassionate thing you can do to people. It may not make you as nice, but it'll definitely make you more loving when you tell people don't do that. You know, like it can be little stuff. Like I had a, a you know, a, a woman, you know, she she called me mama. I was like, Mm-mm, I, don't call me that. Hmm. You know, just in a text like, OK, mama. Da, da, da. I was like, no, I don't yeah. want you to, to have that type of camaraderie with me. You know, back in the day, I would have just let it pass. Right. But I was like, no, I had to set a boundary with her so she knows not to do that because that gives her a chance to be my friend more, you know? And I have people do that to me too, you know? Like like one of my friends, I, I low-key, I didn't realize I did it, but I outed him, you know? You know what? Everybody know his, his you know, his sexuality. Oh, sure. And I, in, in passing, was like, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so. And I was like, he's like, you just outed me. And I'm like, I did. I'm sorry. So that's a boundary, 
you know, he, I'm glad he says something, you know, and as we do things with black and white people, black folks are going to come up to you and be like, Hey, when you said that, they're they going to set a boundary for you. And the key is, what do you do as a friend? Are you going to overstep those boundaries? If you do, then that's someone I'm not going to be around. Well, that's interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause what you said is like, it gives her a chance to get to know me more. And at first mm-hmm. I was like, wait, but how, because when she's saying mama, that is a term of over-familiarity, right? So she mm-hmm. thinks she's getting to know you more by assuming this familiarity. But mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're saying is, no, the way you actually get to know me is I'm letting you know these are my boundaries. And even mm-hmm. though, and I think that's a big thing. I mean, if I'm about to make a big blanket statement about black people and white people, but it's mm-hmm. like the way that I think white people are reacting to a lot of these boundaries being put up right now is they're just like, they're just turning and walking away. They're just or like totally shutting defensive. down. defensive. And completely if, defensive. And I'm but like, if we there's look nothing and we to say, defend. It's just a boundary. Right. It's and like, if we don't say like, do that to me. Oh, this is a way to get to know my black friends better or the black people in my life better. Then mm-hmm. like, turns out it, it, the boundary is generative. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't shut things down. It opens things up. Oh, and yeah. it's not hurting nobody. You know, like I've been checked, you know, like I told you, my friend, you know, he checked me. So now I'm extra sensitive about that. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody's like blatantly, you know, they wearing a rainbow flag and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm still going to be like extra sensitive to that because my friend told me, I was like, there's people who ain't trying to let, that don't mean they're not proud of being gay. That just means like that's their business. And that yep. is none my place to talk about that ever really? with, you know, unless they talk about it. And that's the kind of respect too, that I think people need to have too about blackness um some stuff you can't say yes i can say the n-word sure sure okay sure. yeah but you know and i feel like that's one of the things that a lot of white people are coming like well why can't i say it no you cannot say that that's just wild. no you can't yeah. i don't care what but y'all saying it i can say it as much as i want but you cannot because if you do i'm gonna tell you right <laughs> you know I, it's wild um, and so I just that, think understanding that that because I'm, I'm like a Libra and so like you know astro- astrologically we don't like conflict. I had to teach myself to learn because I've grown so much that way. It, it's brave, you know. It makes you stronger when you can tell somebody, "Hey, I don't like that." That don't mean I don't like you. It's just that if you're going to be my friend and we're going to stay friends and get to know each other, um, you got to know where the line is with me. And out of respect. And so I have a community now of people like we all do that to each other. So I'm just used to it now. Like I don't have any friends in my community right now who are toxic, like zero. Wow. And I love that because like all of us are respectful of each other. You know, all of us are different, different backgrounds, different ways. No one's the same, but we just, because we love each other, um, we don't step on people's boundaries. And if their boundaries have been stepped on, we have no problem saying, Hey, when you did that to me, da, 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 da. Yeah. And the response is always like, I'm so sorry. It's not even, I didn't mean to. It ain't about your intentions. Of course you didn't mean to. You didn't right. know half the time. Right. This isn't about you. This is just like me just saying, no, don't don't do that to me. Moving on. I want to ask you now to just kill one small thing. Just anything in culture or everyday life that you would like to see just disappear off the planet. Racism. <laughs> is there a is there a specific manifestation of racism? That all you, of it and every it? little infraction of it. I'm okay. not putting up with it anymore. Like I'm not. Uh, any little infraction it should not exist. 
What's an aspect should not exist. Uh, totally. What's an aspect of racism that people don't think about? Huh. <laughs> Pull it out of your wallet every day. In order for me to pay my bills and have my being, I got to look at motherfuckers who enslaved people, who didn't think I was human. George Washington, his teeth that he had, they said it was wind teeth. No, 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 no. He would take teeth from slaves and his dentist would make dentures out of them. That is some treacherous, torturous shit. And yet for me to pay my bills, I got to look at him. Hmm. That's everyday racism, right? Every day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people running after this money. I don't see no black people on the money. That's on who purpose. Who would you, who would your, would it be Harriet Tubman or who's someone you would want to see I on the money? I would love Harriet Tubman to be on there. You want to see Sun Ra on the money? Oh, that would be great. Yeah, it's because, you know, I have this theory and maybe call it mythology, right? But I have this theory that the higher the denomination of the money, the more evil and wicked the person is. <laughs> okay. So Washington, he was evil, but you know who's more wicked than him? Abraham Lincoln, you know, who's more wicked than him, you know, Andrew Jackson, and you know, who's the most wicked of them all was Benjamin Franklin. Do you think, I feel like Benjamin Franklin wouldn't be as bad as like Jefferson or Washington. He was a sick, old, demented person, man. They found like all these bodies underneath one of his houses with like people's like brains. And these people were sick. Like, I'm serious. The founding fathers were not, they not cool. They not cool. Yeah, they were well, really right. sick yeah. and they were really into like, you know, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories, but they they really were into esoteric religion and they had mm-hmm. they had their ideas about how the utopia ideas of how the world should be. And that world did not include black people. It included oppressing black people and anybody who was in their way. Why is Andrew Jackson on a twenty dollar bill? He was heinous. Yeah. He was a dementia. I went to, look, we went down, my friend, he was living in Nashville at the time. So I went down, me and another friend, we went, we're going to do a show with him. And he was like, let's go down to um, Andrew Jackson's plantation. Oh, it's still shit. up and running, by oh, the way. Shit. The plantation is still up and running. What? And incredible. guess how much it is getting? $20. <laughs> and they got like this big, <laughs> they got this big, uh, oh my God. like, you can put your head through it so it looks like you're you're the face of what? Andrew. Like so we took some pictures in there and it was on a Sunday, right? And we're walking around, me and a bunch of black folk, and there's all these white people looking at us like, what are they doing here? <laughs> and so then we go into the big house and she's like, Yes, look at this wonderful wallpaper. We preserved it. Don't touch it. Said, I wish I tore a piece off of it. Cause then I look outside the back and I see the slave quarters. And they made it seem like, oh, he was good to his slaves. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Neither was neither was Washington. Neither was Jefferson. He had his woman on the side. He was mm-hmm. he's fucking one of his slaves. Had all these children with her. So why are we honoring these men? But why do we think that any policies or anything that they ever have is going to be just for me? They're not. That's why I'm angry all the time. People are like, oh, the world, we have a black president. I'm like, it doesn't matter. This whole system is built on people who oppress me and my ancestors and now we're economically deprived but yet we're the ones who actually worked to make them have the money they had so even if somebody is like well those are my ancestors i'm like yeah but you're benefiting from my ancestors still mm-hmm. and if my ancestors weren't if we weren't suffering that'd be one thing but the fact that like we still are in an economically challenged situation when 
you know, like you University of Chicago was built by black people and slaves. Ain't nobody got a cut. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. All the big businesses in here, they, they, they still living off of that old money. You know, and so, um, I mean, that this whole structure has to get shut down. And that's my hope. And it will. It will. I'm not taking it. Mm-mm. I'm not going to live like this for another 400 years. I'm not going to do it. That's my hope. It's like, I just won't do it. I'm going to continually, like, for, I mean, we've been protesting, like, for, like, the past two, I would say about the past year. Every night before I would go to bed beyond like two years i would look, look at police brutality videos Ugh. on purpose before i go to sleep because my personal life is great i'm blessed i am blessed i'm not gonna lie i'm, I'm living my dreams my family's right and everything but i never wanted to forget that like just because i'm blessed doesn't mean that the present state of my people as a totality is not suffering you know what i mean like i just that's why i was like moses in the bible because he was living in egypt he had everything, the right education. He he didn't have to, but like when he saw his people suffering, it, he just couldn't handle it. That's how I am. And so until the suffering of of people who are not white is done away with, I'm I'm just gonna still be upset and mad. Like that, I want to kill that. That's gotta go. Especially because we do so much to make this world beautiful. All the music and cultural and beautiful things that we do and how forgiving we are. Because that's one thing they don't want to talk about black people. Because if we weren't forgiven, this we would have been shot up everybody. Oh, yeah. We could have been had a rebellion, shot up a couple people. That Turner did it. What made us stop? Black people are the most forgiving, loving, kindest people in the world. Because we've been humiliated. And when you've been humiliated, it makes you humble. It makes it hard to really be cruel. Like, really, really be like, let me just shut things down because you know what it's like to be humiliated. That's called empathy, you know? And uh, a lot of uh, white culture don't have a chance to exercise that muscle. They talk about white privilege. I call it white disadvantage. And I get this from uh, mm. <laughs> from Arthur Jaffa, who's an amazing cinematographer. And he talks about how, like, white whiteness, especially white males, don't get a chance to exercise empathy, you know? Women, we can do it because, like, we've been humiliated a lot. You know, uh, we just think about totality of it. You know, like, you, Dave, could go back in history 300 years and you'd probably be all right. But, I go back like, in history. Yeah. I yeah. can't get off. Shit's getting I real. can't get yeah. off the time machine. Yeah, I know. It'd <laughs> be all right, you know? I, know? I know. You know, so, like, it has to go. And I and I know it's going to go. And I believe it's going to go. And that's it. And that's all. I'm not putting up with it. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. I am so, so stoked that we all just got to have that experience with Angel. Stick around later this week. I may release some of the bonus content in the main feed of the podcast, but you can get all of the bonus content from the show at patreon.com slash Dave Marr. If you want to follow me, that's This Is Dave Marr pretty much everywhere. Follow Angel, follow Angel, follow Angel at Angel the Oracle. And that's it. I'll talk to you next week. You're human, only human, and human beings, they do miracles.